Welcome to Sign of the Crime. This is Remy Ramirez. This is Q McGrath. And uh, we're covering Adnan Syed today. We sure are. <laughs> Which was not originally the plan, but shout out to my friend Muzam, who was like, we, we were talking about it, but then we were like, let's do this other one. But then Muzam hit me up and was like, yo, please do Adnan Syed. So we're covering this wild ass case. But first... I have to ask you, Q, have you seen Bad Vegan on Netflix? No, I don't. I thought you were talking about, you mentioned something about this and I thought you were talking about the vegan teacher who I no. think of as a bad vegan, but no. no, what are you talking about? No, no, this story is fucking insane. So this woman owned like way before it was hip to do like raw vegan. She had a raw vegan restaurant in New York and it was very popular, like, <laughs> okay sorry if i cough on this <laughs> i got i that went to sick i went to palm springs and was like woo spring break and like am actually 41 and got sick <laughs> <laughs> woo, uh, sick yeah woo um okay anyway yeah so she she has this this restaurant she started it with her boyfriend and then it didn't work out between them and so he he left and she was just kind of feeling lonely and whatever and this guy came along who was like fr like sort of friends with alec baldwin not really so what? you know and it's about alec baldwin well no, not at all. But like, this was kind of how this guy sort of endeared himself to her and, and made himself seem legit. Like, like he would go, um, he would like talk on Twitter with Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, when they would have this like witty banter and blah, blah, woof, woof. This guy kind of um, slips into her life. And it starts out like he tells her that he does this, um, black ops mil he's this black ops military guy he does all these secret military um i don't know whatever they do you know like go going to africa on a secret mission and like killing the bad guys and whatever the fuck mm -hmm. um, that sounds absolutely like normal and logical and right believable. yeah and like he can't uh he can't ever tell her what he's doing and yes but yes. then over time he convinces her to that like because she is dating him he has to have access to all of her emails and all of her things because um she's not safe and uh he has to protect her and so and then he has to have access to all of her bank accounts and uh -huh. then he starts convincing her that he's not human <laughs> i'm sorry what <laughs> he is he has superpowers and oh, and no she, and she has to complete all of these tests to prove her to him that she to him and to his quote-unquote family of superpower people um that she's really loyal and that she understands that money doesn't mean anything by constantly wiring him money like guys i know you say it's not all men but <laughs> But I have to say, like the ones of you that it is, y'all are really proving our point. I mean, she wired him over a million and a half. 
dollar what 1.5 million Who the fuck has 1.5 million dollars expendable income in this fucking economy and she basically bankrupt her own she because he kept saying if you do this look we're right and luckily she recorded him he is so abusive and awful and he's like who are you like when she would try to like argue with him about it he'd be like who are you um and like flip out on her anyway long story short she she eventually gets arrested they both get arrested and put in anyway it's even they though they both get arrested they both get arrested you have to watch this thing it is unfucking believable basically he used like cult manipulation tactics but it was like the cult of one just you know like have you watched the tinder swindler no on netflix you need to watch the tinder swindler because man this guy's a species and uh and this is like not the first story like this i've heard <laughs> oh my god uh yeah it's, it's uh it's rough out there ladies. dude i am so married <laughs> i am so fucking married <laughs> no uh-uh never again uh I told Eddie, Michael, I'm like, if we get divorced, I am moving to Maine. I'm buying 15 cats and I'm just going to Jessica Fletcher my way through this shit because I have no intention of fucking with your kind ever again. Well, make room, honey, because <laughs> I'm out here watching Bad Vegan being like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> right? No, oh, no, thank you. This sounds bad. That's bad. Okay, let's do it. Well, yeah. speaking of bad, speaking of not good. Bad, this bad, not fucking good. case. Um, so if you know anything about the Heyman Lee Adnan Syed case, uh, then you are probably in the majority because it was hard to escape it in 2014 when Serial came out. And then uh, then you had the, uh, the case against Adnan Syed, which was the HBO documentary, which is excellent. Um, so there's a lot of information about this it got very popular. And this was my first podcast. I don't remember. I think it was probably shout out to Aaron who was kept pushing me into podcasts. I was like, what is this technology? She's like, just do it. I think it was um, my first podcast too, the serial podcast. Was it? I think yeah, so. this was, this was my first podcast. And then I was like, Ooh, crime. <laughs> Ooh. Loves and, then, it. and then I never went back. Um, okay. So if you have not listened to the first season of serial, uh, then I'm going to suggest you go do that after you finish this pod, because Sarah Koenig is going to give you a lot more detail than I'm going to. Um, she has more time, so there's that, but she's also going to get some shit wrong. And I'm going to go over that briefly. It's not her fault. She was using the best info she had available to her in 2013 and 2014, but there have been developments since then, many of which were addressed in the case against Anad Syed on HBO. It's excellent. Uh, it's riveting. It's only like four episodes, so it's not a huge time investment. Highly recommend. Um, so, okay, this, this fucking case, let's start with the actual day of, uh, January 13th. 1999, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera are ruling the charts. Low-rise jeans are assaulting all of our eyes. Terrible times. Uh, yeah, hate. Uh, hate that. So hate in Baltimore that. County, Maryland, in a place called Woodlawn, an 18-year-old young woman named Heyman Lee leaves her suburban high school around 2.15. Ostensibly, she's on her way to pick up her young cousin, which was a regular obligation of hers. Not long after 3.15, her family receives a phone call from the cousin's school stating that the cousin had not been picked up, and that's when the family becomes concerned. Hay is a straight-A student. She's an athlete. She has a job at LensCrafters. She manages her school's wrestling team. She comes from a very tight South Korean family, so this is completely out of character for her as far as they're concerned. They begin calling family and friends, including Adnan Syed, her fairly recent ex-boyfriend. 
So he says that he has no idea where she is, and he later explains that his first reaction was not one of fear, but one of concern. Not for her, but well, for her, but that she was going to be in a lot of trouble when she gets home. So he's not afraid that she's in trouble, like dead. He's afraid right. that his, her parents are going to fucking kill her. Kind of going to get her ass beat when she gets home. Right. Yeah, one of those. So the family contacts the police within a few hours, and in a refreshing change of pace, the police take this notification seriously right out of the gate. Not normal for the '90s. Totally. What am I saying? It's not normal now. Uh, an officer also contacts Adnan, and he says Adnan, Adnan. 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 And again, he says he has no idea. He does mention that he was supposed to get a ride with Hay after school, but he was detained and he figured that she just got tired of waiting and left. Very teenage. So all of Hay's other friends are contacted. No one has anything to contribute about where she might be and investigations continue. And then on February 9th, a maintenance worker named Alonzo Sellers pulls off the side of the road to pee after downing a 22 ounce Budweiser. Here's my favorite part on his way to work. Wait, <laughs> He told people that? Yes. <laughs> what? But he told people that because he had to account for why he was desperate to take a pee. <laughs> I mean, a big gulp. You don't have to tell him it was beer. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, we applaud your honesty, but was that the smartest thing? Mm, well, don't worry because this gets weirder. So he goes about a hundred ish yards into a wooded area known as Leakin Park to relieve himself. And in a shallow grave behind a large down tree, he discovers the semi buried body of Haman Lee. Mm-hmm. An autopsy shows that she has been manually strangled, mm-hmm. but there's no evidence of sexual assault. So we are no longer dealing with a missing person. Now we have a death. And because we have the manual strangulation as the cause of death, her, cl- her death is classified as a homicide. Police ramp up investigations, including of the man who found her body. He doesn't have any discernible connection to Hay, but he does have a record as a streaker. A streaker? Mm-hmm. Exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is considered a low grade sex offense. So they take a good long look at him and he's a weirdo, you know, he's a fucking weirdo, but there's no evidence. Hey, was sexually assaulted and there's nothing to show that they were linked in any way. And he passes a polygraph. So they cross him off the list. Next up, they take a cursory look at her current boyfriend, Don Kleindenst, but that hits a dead end when his boss at LensCrafters, where he works with Hay, confirms that his time card shows he was at work at the time police believe the crime was committed, but put a pin in that because we are going to come back to it. Okay. So right around that time, police receive an anonymous phone call suggesting the police look into Hay's ex-boyfriend, Adnan. Huh. sources indicate yeah it was yeah they never were able to find out who made that phone call interesting by the way. but uh police say well i don't know if it's police saying it but someone said there's it's the rumor around the water cooler is that it was an asian american male who was young my guess if i had to guess her brother right so sources indicate that on february 12th police receive a phone call from an anonymous young asian sounding male suggesting they look at adnan and they do so according to police they begin their investigation at that point they hadn't started looking at him before that on the 16th they applied for a warrant for adnan's recently he he just got a cell phone so they they get a warrant for that and from those phone records they find that on january 13th adnan repeatedly called someone named jay wilds so for reasons that are unclear the police officer's assertion is that before they approach Jay, they first approach his good friend, Jennifer Pusatiri, by basically cold calling her on February 26th. Jen tells them initially that she doesn't know anything. And then she returns the next day with her mother and a lawyer. And she tells the police that Jay had revealed to her that Adnan had confessed to murdering Hay on the 13th. 
and that Jay had been present when Adnan buried her body. Whoa. Uh-huh. So according to the police, at this point, they haven't had any direct contact with Jay. So they then contact Jay, you know, who wouldn't? And they confirm, he confirms what Jen told them, and he gave them some additional details, including where they could find Hay's missing car, which was located based on his information. On February 28th, 1999, Adnan Syed is arrested for the murder of Heyman Lee at his home. So let's talk about how all this played out, because no matter which way you turn this prism of a case, at the center of it is going to be Jay Wilde's. Police's assertion is that they first contacted Jen Pusateri, Jay Wilde's good friend, but there have been those who call that into question because, plainly put, why the fuck would they do that? You know? Yeah, I'm confused. So Jay has been in police custody before. I don't believe he has an arrest record, but he has been in police custody before. And there was one time when he was brought into custody with Jen. So it's possible that when the police looked at Jay, when they like researched him prior to making contact, they saw her name and decided to feel her out first. But I'm not clear at all on why they do that. Um, it's been suggested that it's highly probable that the police actually contacted Jay first and that he talked about Jen, which is why they sought her out. But I don't think we're ever really going to know the dealings uh, that happened there because shit with Jay and the cops gets pretty murky. Uh, let me lay it out. Okay, so Jay comes in and he tells the cops that on the 12th, Adnan called him up and set up a plan to meet the next day, the next day to go shopping for Jay's girlfriend, Stephanie, who is also Adnan's good friend. Jay's story is that Adnan picks him up and they go shopping at the Westview Mall. Then Jay took Adnan back to school and left with his car and his cell phone. So Jay's got Adnan's car and cell phone. Sometime during that, out that outing, Adnan tells Jay that he's planning on killing Hay. As one does. What? Mm-hmm. So then Jay heads over to his friend Jen's house, and he says he gets a call around 345 to come pick Adnan up from a strip mall. And when he gets there, Adnan pops the trunk, and he shows Jay Hay's dead body, quote-unquote, all pretzeled up. Jay says that Adnan is wearing red gloves, and he's walking around saying, I fucking did it. Then Jay claims that he drives in Adnan's car to a local park, a local park and drive. Uh, do you know what that is? They're all over the Midwest. Do you no. have, I don't. So it's basically um, a place you go when you park your car and then you take some kind of public transportation somewhere else. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's a big parking lot and they're, it's, it's kind of a place where they can be kind of um, desolate. Okay. So they, he claims that they drive to Adnan, they drive Adnan's. Okay. So, okay. Before I fuck this up. So Jay claims he drives Adnan's car to the local park and drive and Adnan follows him in Hay's car. And that's where they leave Hay's car with her body in it. And then his story gets weirder in my opinion. So according to Jay, then they smoke a blunt and they cruise around in Adnan's car for a few hours with Hay's body, just chilling in her trunk parking a, at a local park and drive. Mm -hmm. Then they drive to a local park about half an hour away, smoke some more weed. And then Jay takes Adnan back to school at about four 30. This Okay. So at 645, he gets another call to come pick Adnan up. And then they go back to the park and ride. And sometime in there, Adnan gets a call from the cops about hay, which stresses Adnan out, according to Jay. They collect shovels from Jay's house. They have a little Mickey D's, little snacky poo. And then they take both cars to Leakin Park, where they bury her. Jay admits to helping Adnan bury the body. Then they take Hay's car to the other side of town to a little strip parking lot kind of thing. And they leave it there. 
Afterward, Adnan disposes of Hayes' things in a dumpster behind the Westview Mall. Jay drives himself home in Adnan's car and immediately disposes all of the clothing that he'd been wearing that day. So he drives him home himself home in Adnan's car, and then Adnan takes off in, in his car. Just to be clear, Adnan was with him, but Jay's at this point saying that he's the one driving. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they go together to Jay's house. Jay's driving. Yes, Jay's driving. And then Adnan leaves. And in his car. Home. In his own car. Yeah. In yeah. his own car. Okay. He claims that since that day, he's spoken to Adnan a dozen or so times and that Adnan had both made light of the situation and that he's also threatened Jay's girlfriend, Stephanie, should Jay decide to develop some loose lips. Again, Stephanie is a close friend of Adnan's. So this is Jay's first interview on February 28th. His second interview is on March 15th, and it is different. So now he's stating that he saw Adnan on the 12th, the day before the murder, and that Adnan had told him he was planning on killing his ex-girlfriend, Hay. In this version of events, Adnan tells Jay he's planning on strangling her in his car after asking her for a ride, which is like, that's a lot of detail there, my dude. Um, Yeah. But that's what he's saying. So the reason this is important is because it establishes premeditation. Which makes this killing a much bigger deal. Uh, So he's still claiming that the two went shopping the next day, but now they're going to the security square mall. I have no idea why he would switch up the malls. He switched malls? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fishy. mm -hmm, It's weird. And that when Adnan leaves his car with Jay, Jay knows exactly why he's keeping the car, i.e. so that Adnan can kill Hay by telling her he needs a ride. And then Jay will come pick him up when everything's all said and done. Okay. So wait, so... Where was, sorry, where was Adnan's car in the first version? In the first version, basically, there's nothing different about where the car is. But now Jay is claiming that Adnan told him before that he was going to do it, that he was very specific about how he was going to do it. And that when he left the car with Jay, Jay knew why he had the car so that he could come pick Jay up after Adnan had finished murdering his ex-girlfriend. Okay. So in both instances, Jay has Adnan's car. Yes. So why did Jay have Adnan's car? We will get there. So this is why Jay is claiming he has his car. We'll get to Adnan's version of events. Okay. So he's also claiming that when Adnan called him on his friend... Okay, so he's claiming that Adnan calls him on his friend Jen's landline before he's ever every phone call came in to his to the cell phone. And this gets confusing because Adnan is calling his own cell phone because Jay has a cell phone. We understanding that? Okay, wait. So okay, start from the beginning of that part because I'm confused already. I know. I was like, God, how am I gonna make this make sense? So he's claiming, remember that who's that he? Jay. Okay. So every, every time I say he's claiming here, we're talking about Jay. Okay. So in both version of events, Jay's got a lot of phone calls coming into Adnan's phone because he has Adnan's phone, which is weird, which is weird, but it's 99 and teenagers are weird. I don't know. Um, It's not normal for most people to have cell phones in 99. So he's doing his friend a favor, I guess. Uh, It's also a way to keep in touch with someone who has your car, I guess. Okay, fine. I mean, I get that. Although my thing is like, why the fuck are you letting this dude have your car? Anyway, my issues will get there too. So he claims that when Adnan called him, he now, he calls him on his friend Jen's landline to tell Jay that he's leaving school, like after school ends, as in he's leaving with Hay to kill her. Not sure why anyone would do that 
but he's not claiming that call came in on the cell phone. He's claiming that call came into his friend Jen's landline. Okay. Like, hey, school's over. I'm leaving now. As in like, hey, be ready. You're going to need to come pick me up soon after I'm done with this little murder I've planned. Okay. So he also changes the story and says that because Adnan had not called him to come pick him up at the time he said he would, he had left his friend Jen's house by the time Adnan actually called and he was headed home. So he was halfway between his house and Jen's house when that, that call came in. And this is important and we'll come back to it. Wait, so in other so, words, Jen got the call and not Jay because he wasn't at the house. No, no, no. That He gets that call. Supposedly, I'm going to say... He doesn't say times, but according to what the prosecution's talking about, that call would have come in at, say, 2.15, because that's when school ends. Okay. The call that he claims that Adnan made to come pick him up would have come in, according to him, at, like, 3.40. Okay. And in, and in his first version of events, he got that call when he was at Jen's house. In his second version of events, he is halfway between his house and Jen's house when that call comes in. But Does that make sense? Okay, the thing that doesn't make sense is, didn't you say it came in on the landline? No, okay. The landline call came in at like <laughs> 2.15. That call is just like, I'm leaving school. Okay, there are two. Okay, so the, okay, got it. Uh-huh, on board. The second call is the one that was like, come pick me up. I'm done with my murder. Okay, and he is, and that and, comes into the cell. And that comes into the cell. Okay. And Jay's first version of events has him getting that call at Jen's house. His second version of events has him getting that call while he's driving halfway between his house and Jen's house. Okay. So now he's saying that he gets this call from Adnan saying to come pick him up from the Best Buy parking lot. Now he comes pick him up from a Best Buy parking lot, not some strip somewhere. And this is where he sees Hay's body. He also states that after they drive Hayes' car to another location, Adnan starts pulling stuff out of the back of Hayes' car where her body is, just like casually moving her dead body around as he roots through her trunk, which is a strange fucking detail in my opinion. Yeah. Then they head to Forest Park, which is about an hour away, which I checked according on my map, my maps app because I was like, what? And they did this in order to buy pot. Another important detail he now suddenly remembers is that Adnan made a call to a girl he was seeing and he put Jay on the phone for a minute. So then they head to Patapsco State Park, which is near Forest Park, but is still a solid hour away from Woodlawn. They smoke some weed there. They hang out for about half an hour. And then Jay takes him back to school so that Adon can attend his track practice in order to establish an alibi. Jay claims in his interview that it took about 15 minutes to get from the school uh, to get back to the school from the park, which is fairly impressive because it's a 56 mile drive. Love to know how they defy the laws of physics to do that. Wow. In this interview. Yeah, it's mm. <laughs> in this interview. Really? <laughs> I would love to see it. So in this interview, he's now claiming he went to his friend Christie's house after dropping Adnan off. And he's there when Adnan calls him 20 minutes later, later saying to come get him from track practice, which he does. And then he returns to his friend Christie's house. Uh, meh, meh, meh. And that Jay and that, wait, what did that say? Oh, yeah. And then he returns to his friend Christie's house with Adnan. So now they're both at Christie's house okay. and on the car ride there, Jay says that in, in the car, Adnan is bragging about murdering Hay and that while they're at his friend's house, Adnan is really high and he gets panicky when he gets a call from Hay's family looking for Hay. And then he gets that other call from the cops, which also freaks him out. So conveniently, Christie has also already verified all of this information in another interview. Oh, so well, don't put a pin in that. Put a pin in it. I know. Okay. So Jay now tells the cops that Adnan chooses Lincoln Park because he's been there before and that while they're there, Jay receives a call on Adnan's phone from people he's supposed to meet, wondering why he's not there yet. 
In this version of events, after they're done burying Hay and disposing of Hay's things and all of the digging tools, Jay calls his friend Jen and asks her to pick him up from his house, which she does. And he tells her at this point that Adnan has killed Hay and that he watched him bury her. And I'm going to go ahead and take this moment to say that Jen has never, ver ver he, she's verified that this happened, but she says that it happened in the parking lot of Best Buy. Some of the things that Jay is possibly lying about do not make sense. This is one of them. Huh. So he throws away his clothes and then he had Jen drive him back to the dumpsters at Westview so he could wipe the fingerprints off the shovels because apparently the shovels that they used were Jay's. He told Jen that he hadn't helped bury her. He told the police that he did. Huh. So the cops make a point of asking Jay in this interview why Adnan killed Hay in the Best Buy parking lot. And he says, Jay says that Adnan told him they used to have sex there. Okay. <laughs> so... All right. So what's what? the deal with, yeah. Uh, what, what the, the importance of that, like the cops do make a point of asking Jay this and he tells them Adnan said this and what it feels like, even in the moment when you listen to the interview is that they want Jay to give some reason. They believe that she's been killed in the Best Buy parking lot and they want some reason to justify it. And they're using Jay to create that justification. Okay. So what's the deal with Jay? Why is he changing his stories? These are excellent questions. But before we get to that, we need to go over Adnan's version of January 13th, which won't take long. And it has the added benefit of being both highly incredulous and very unsatisfying. And this is because he can't remember much. Ugh. And, yeah. In his defense, he states that for him, it was just a normal day and he wasn't asked about it until six weeks later. This is what he remembers members. So January 13th, 99 was his close friend, Stephanie's birthday. So he says that he calls her boyfriend and his casual acquaintance, Jay in the morning, about 1045 to ask if Jay had bought Stephanie a present and to offer him the use of his car. If he hadn't, Jay confirms that he hasn't typical millennial boyfriend and Adnan uses his lunch period to drive over to Jay's to give him the use of his car. Adnan says that Jay brings him back to school somewhere between 11.15 and 11.30. He has a free period after lunch, and he's not sure what he did there, but he says he did show up to his psychology class after that late at about 1.30. School ends at 2.15. He's not entirely sure what he did, but he says that it's a possibility he went to the Woodlawn Library, which is essentially on campus, sometime between 2.15 and 2.30. Track practice began at 3.30 and ended somewhere between 4.30 and 5. And after practice ended, Adnan confirms that Jay picked him up and he doesn't know what happened after that. It's possible he went to Christie's house, as Jay says, but he doesn't know. It was Ramadan, so he is fairly certain that he brought his father food at the mosque because that was the custom. His father testified that Adnan was at the evening prayer the family attended at their mosque. And that's kind of all we get from Adnan. And it's not a lot, which but is why... If you ask me what I did six weeks ago... I'd be I like, what? Yeah, yeah, me neither. I have no fucking idea. Yeah. My only issue with this is like within a few days, they knew that Hay went missing and I probably would have thought about my day more closely. Yeah. But I don't know what, that's what 43-year-old me would do. I don't know what 19-year-old me would do. Right. 19-year-old me would do. So um, it's not a lot. And this is why Jay's version of events is given so much scrutiny because he paints a much more detailed, if problematic picture. Okay. So let's look at those problems. Let's, I want to start here when we're talking about Jay. So Jay is black and he's 19, which means that he could be charged as an adult. This is Baltimore in the nineties. Uh, you know, we've solved racism now, but it was pretty rampant back then. <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we've solved mm -hmm. it. It's, we're Yay. good to go. But 
but 20, 23, 25 years is a problem. So he's being interviewed by one white and one black detective. Both are up in his face. He is a known petty drug dealer, but he doesn't have a record. He himself admits, though, that he sells to high school students. And it's important to acknowledge that marijuana was a much bigger deal in the 90s than it is now. Right. Uh, we were very still we were still very firmly in the war on drugs, you know, before right. we realized that drugs won. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he deals pot and of his own admission, he does it out of his grandmother's house, which means that she could be vulnerable in a police investigation. He's a high school graduate, but he's not attending college. And in fact, fun fact, in uh, the course of this investigation, he gets a job at an adult toy store. Oh. So yeah, I mean, it's very sex relevant, positive, but- Jay is. Right? We like it. Um, so <laughs> what I'm saying is he's not a guy with a lot to lose, but his freedom, but he does have his freedom and he does not want to lose it. So Jay's first interview gets Adnan arrested, but it's only after Adnan is arrested that investigators take the time to go through those cell phone calls. And when they do that, they realize that the cell phone calls, which is the entirety of tangible evidence the police have to back up Jay's story, besides finding his car, does not match what Jay is telling them. So his first interview, February 28th, his second, March 15th, and they bring him into the police station at about three that day, 3.05, I think. They don't start recording until about 6.20. So what happens? Yeah. Oh, what happens in those three and a half hours? You would think that the police would put some effort into saying something along the lines of like, oh, we were just waiting for an investigation, you know, an investigator to show up or an interview room to open. But they pretty openly admit that they conducted a pre-interview with Jay that they did not record. No, not good. Here, oh no, oh, you're going to love it. Here's a direct quote from the senior detective at that time. Culturally in Baltimore, by the way, didn't realize Baltimore had its own culture, but all right. (laughs) Culturally in Baltimore, the first story is going to be a lie. Then we refine the story and it will become less of a lie. Sorry, what? No, that's great. <laughs> totally what? unproblematic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. No. Wow. But listen to this. On the stand, one of the detectives in this case noted the, the other one. That one was the black cop. This is the white cop. So he notes the massive differences in Jay's story by explaining we narrowed down time frames and he started to recall things better. Oh, good. So I don't know about you, but I am absolutely unbothered by the idea of two grown-ass men with every precedent of power in these circumstances spending several hours refining a teenage drug dealer's testimony about a murder and yeah the new story just coincidentally better fits the details of their investigation that's not sus not sus i i can't say it my my kids keep calling things sus and i'm like suspect anyway it's It's very suspect it's very sus that's what the kids say right yeah so let's look at the details of that investigation. First of all, I'm just going to put this out here. The time frame never totally works. It just doesn't. That trip to Patapsco State Park, the one that I map quested that was 56 miles that he managed to do in 15 minutes. What the <laughs> fuck? That never works. Like it never works in any time frame, no matter how you twist it. And that's basically just shrugged off throughout the course of the investigation, the trial. There's no way they drove to a park over an hour away hung out for half an hour and then made it back in time for Adnan to be at his track practice for any amount of time. It's not, it's not possible. possible. Yeah. Yeah. Jay maintains that that happened. I don't know what to tell you. 
Additionally, the call that Adnan supposedly made asking Jay to pick him up after, kill it, after killing Hay came in at 2.36, according to the phone records, which would work, according to the police's thing. But Jay consistently maintains in both interviews that that call came in at 3.30, 3.45, and his statements are backed up by the testimony of Jen Pusateri. Again, I have no, I, I don't. It would be impossible if it came, I mean, right because they get out of school at 2 15 so it's 2 30 so the so the police's theory is that adnan got a ride with hay they go somewhere best buy parking lot you know good times argue he kills hay and within 20 minutes of her getting out at 2 15 she's dead this is the theory that they put forth at the very beginning of their case okay so they're saying she's dead within 20 minutes of leaving school. The 236 call that shows up on his phone, um, I, I that would make sense, honestly, if like the call came in at 236 and he went to pick him up. But Jay consistently states and Jen Pusateri consistently states that that call came in at 340. Huh. Unfortunately, there are no incoming phone calls on Adnan's phone at that time. And the prosecution never explains this discrepancy. In his first interview, Jay never mentions Adnan calling his friends while they were around doing what they were driving around after the murder. But in the second interview, he says that Jay called his friend Nisha and spoke to her for several minutes. Now, the Nisha phone call is a huge issue because she was a friend of Adnan's, but not Jay's. And that call went out at 332, a time when Adnan maintains he was not with Jay. So why was an outgoing phone call to one of Adnan's friends that went on for several minutes made from that phone? Her number was actually programmed into the phone. Remember how you could do that? I don't know if you can do that anymore. Remember before smartphones when you could like press one and like oh, that would call a yeah. number? Yeah. So he was like, that number was programmed into the phone. So it's possible that she could have been called without Adnan being present, but it's hard to imagine a call going on for several minutes with a complete stranger, but who knows? So there's been some back and forth about the possibility of an answering machine, you know, like maybe the, maybe a person had the phone and called and got an answering machine and it like, you know, butt dial. Okay. Um, who knows? So if you listen to the podcast, the serial podcast, Nisha does remember at some point in time getting a phone call from Adnan where he put his friend Jay on the line, but she doesn't know what day it happened. So we don't know. But there's more. So Jay's first interview has him at Jen's house when the call came in telling him to come get Adnan. But the cell records indicate to the police that that's not possible. And suddenly in his second interview, he's driving to his house from Jen's house when that, fall, when that phone call comes in, putting him in a different cell phone pinging area. So remember how we talked about that? How in the first, in the first uh, interview, he's at Jen's house when that call comes in. And then suddenly in the second interview, he's driving from Jen's house to his house. Right. And at the time, we're like, okay, that's a weird thing for you to change. Well, it turns out that when the police looked at the phone records, <gasps> he couldn't, they, they were like, you can't be at Jen's house. Where were you? Think harder kind of a situation. Oh, they were like, this doesn't match the records we have for where you're, for like what cell phone tower was pinged. So you have to change your location. That is correct. Okay. Shady. So finally, there are two cell phone towers labeled L654. One is near Dorchester. This is like a neighborhood in Woodlawn, which is where Jay originally said he was after picking Adnam up. And the second is in Catonsville, where Jay's friend Christy lives. 
And the police did not realize that. So when they're looking at the cell phone info, they believe that the cell phone records indicate that Jay was near Catonsville. And suddenly in his second interview, he is. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why in the second interview, suddenly he's at Christie's house. Interesting. So this shit is weird, but the prosecutors believe that there is enough evidence to convince a jury that Adnan is guilty of Hayes' murder, and apparently they are correct, because on February 25th, 2000, he is convicted of Hayes' murder, and he's sentenced to life in prison, plus 30 years. And that might have been the end of it, except for Rabia Chaudhry, a family friend who stepped in and said, nah. So Rabia steps in. If you are an Adnan advocate, then Rabia is the hero of the story. So she steps in, and she starts looking more critically at the evidence. And one of the first things she does is discover that Adnan had received a letter from a casual acquaintance named Asia McLean, claiming that she had seen Adnan at the library on January 13th at about 2.30, which is exactly when the police claim that Hay is being murdered. Right. And she's willing to testify to such. So Adnan claims that he tells his attorney, Christina Gutierrez, about Asia's letter and trial records that have been researched back up that claim. But according to Adnan, Gutierrez told him that she contacted Asia and that Asia had mixed up her dates. So she wasn't actually a a qualified witness. Asia claims she was never contacted. What the? Why, you ask? Would an attorney lie about such a thing? This is another excellent question that I can't answer because Christina Gutierrez died in 2004 from complications of multiple sclerosis. Jesus. Before she died, however, she was disbarred Ah. because the effects of her condition had led her to have memory issues that affected her ability to be effective counsel. Oh, my God. She agreed to the disbarment which I think occurred in 2001, which meant the Attorney Grievance Commission dropped their investigation into about a dozen client complaints they had paid for work for which they had not, they paid for work that she had not completed. And the Maryland Maryland Client Security Trust Fund, who manages reimbursements for victims of lawyer misconduct, received a record-breaking number of claims from Gutierrez's former clients. They ended up paying out over 20, 220, oh, my computer was like, what? Over $220,000 to 28 disgruntled clients. Yikes. Medical records indicate that she was having memory and cognitive issues as far back as 1999, and her law clerks say that it, it went back farther than that. Ugh. Adnan's trial was in 2000, so there's Ugh. that. So back to Asia McLean, Rabia asked Asia to write an affidavit. And this is, I believe, like right after, right around the trial. So this is like 99, 2000, Rabia asked Asia, no, 2000, it would have been 2000. After the conviction, Rabia asked Asia to write an affidavit testifying to seeing Adnan on the 13th at approximately 2.30, and Asia does it. And that evidence is stuck into the case files, which is where it was found by Adnan's appeal attorney while preparing his appeal in 2009. Asia's in California by then, so the attorney sends a private investigator out there to approach her and ask if she'd be willing to testify to her, to her affidavit. And Asia tells the dude to get lost because as far as she's concerned, a convicted murderer just proved that he could find her address. And she is, you know, understandably freaked out. Then she did something kind of interesting. So she calls the prosecutor, Kevin Urich, because she thought he would give her some unbiased perspective. No, Mm-mm. that isn't what happens. That's so not how prosecutors ages. work. <laughs> I think the term prosecutor might have maybe. Yeah. That sort of indicates that that's not likely, uh, but you know. That's naivety is a beautiful thing. So according to Asia's notes, Yurik tells her that Adnan is 100% guilty, that they have DNA evidence to prove it. They don't. That they have an eyewitness. They don't. They don't. And that there could be legal consequences for her if she gets involved. Uh, there aren't. Uh, 
So Asia believes him, and that's where things stay until Sarah Koenig reaches out to her in 2014 while researching for Serial and explains none of those things are real. That's not true. And that she may well be Adnan's alibi. So between the strength of Asia's affidavit and the strong likelihood that Christina Gutierrez majorly screwed the pooch on this case, Adnan's attorney begins the motions to file an appeal. It's then that an online investigator makes a pretty mind-blowing discovery about the cell phone records. So armchair detective Susan Smith gets access to the cell records from Rabia, and tucked right on top of those records is a disclaimer from the phone company explaining that only outgoing calls are reliable for discerning location. Ah. Incoming calls do not give accurate representation of location, and this is because the information that was given to the expert who testified at the trial was not engineering information. It was billing information. It was never intended to be a way to locate people. It was always intended as a way to know how to charge people, and as such, there isn't even a high incentive for it to be correct. Wow. This means that every call Adnan made to Jay or that came in while Adnan and Jay were supposedly bearing hay in Lincoln Park they are not reliable to establish location. And that is how they established that they were in Lincoln Park. Lincoln, they pronounce it Lincoln. It's spelled Lincoln, but they pronounce it Lincoln. So they have phone calls that they say came in while Hay and, well, I'm sorry, while Adnan and Jay are burying Hay. Supposedly. But all of a sudden, supposedly, and that they are pinging towers in Lincoln Park. Right. It's the cornerstone of the prosecution's case. Right. And it's sudden, like- all of a sudden it's bullshit it's a big old l for them so when the ex when the expert who testified to their cell towers accuracy caught wind of this he recants his testimony claiming that he's not he was not given that disclaimer from the prosecution and he doesn't know why he did not receive that information moreover when he calls and asks kevin urich what the fuck kevin urich tells him that there could be consequences for him if he goes down this road no ah this kevin urich guy sucks don't worry, there's more. <laughs> so remember that slight change Jay made between his first and second interview about being at Jen's house? Yes. And then not at home when he got the phone call to pick up Adnan. And this is critical, supposedly, because the cell towers showed that he couldn't be at home when he received that phone call. Right. Guess what? what? Turns out that a transcriber had made a mistake when labeling the cell towers. And consequently, even if you did buy that the cell towers were accurate and credible for location purposes, Jay's original testimony would have been correct, according to the cell towers. His, oh, okay. So his whole, their whole like, oh, we're going to move this around so you're in the right place at the right time is bullshit. Yep. So it turns out that like, first of all, none of this is accurate for establishing location. But second of all, if it was accurate, his original testimony would have been correct. The one given in the first interview, because a transcriber had written down the wrong number for the cell phone tower. Lord. Wow. The amount of mistakes in this case. It just keeps going. So Adnan's attorney presents all this evidence to the appeals court and Anand's conviction is vacated in 2016. The prosecution indicates they are going to retry him unless Adnan is willing to accept a non-Alfred plea. Do you know what an Alfred plea is? No. So an Alfred plea states, I didn't, I'm not going to say I'm guilty, but I do recognize that you have enough evidence to convict me. Oh. And it's often done in cases where it's like, in this kind of case where, you know, an appeal is granted or, um, a conviction is vacated or something like this, where it's like, there's a lot of evidence. It's really circumstantial. The person is like, I didn't do it, but I realize you could put me away for it. So I'm willing to plead to it. But they are saying they will not take an Alfred plea. You know, they want him to accept guilt 
and they want him to serve four more years. So the attorneys are going back and forth on these dealings, and then some more information comes to light. So first of all, we've got the DNA issue. DNA was collected from Hayes' body, from her car, from the area around her where she was found, but it was not tested. Ah. And this is because the prosecution said it did not have a responsibility to test the DNA. What are you talking and they, about? And they had no reason to because they'd already caught the killer. It's like literally your responsibility, sir. Mm. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you've got Hayes' car, which supposedly had been parked in the same grassy area in a Baltimore neighborhood since January 13th when it was found following Jay's statement on February 28th, which is about six weeks. However, residents flatly insist that there's no fucking way they would have let a car sit in the area for six weeks without having it towed. Moreover, when the car is discovered, there's still grass and detritus on the wheels of the car. So, you know, when you're driving through basically anything, but especially grassy area, you're going to get grass and shit on the wheels of the car. And it seems unlikely that six weeks of snow and rain would have left that on the wheels. Right. Totally. So there's also a fingerprint found in the car that does not belong to Hay or Jay or Adnan, and they are never able to identify it. Huh. Thirdly, a thorough look at the schedule of Jay's friend, Christy, who claims that Adnan was at her house with Jay on the evening of the 13th. And by the way, it's important to say she only affirmed that after being told by the police that that's the day that Jay was claiming he was there. It turns out she has a class that night that went until 9 p.m. So it's highly unlikely that she was even home on the evening of the 13th. Wow. Fourthly, because it just keeps going. It turns out that Don Kleindenst alibi, remember he's Hayes' boyfriend at the time of her death? Yes. It turns out his alibi is his mommy. What? <laughs> She was his manager at LensCrafters, and she was the one who authorized his time card. What? Yeah. Investigation reveals this time card shows he was working at a store he did not normally work at a time he was not needed. What? Mm -hmm. So none of this was really looked at at the time because police didn't contact on until three weeks after Hay went missing. So that's suspicious. Let me get this straight. <laughs> They were like, ah, this this girl is missing. Let's just not contact her boyfriend. That's correct for three weeks. Are you what? Yeah. Yeah. So finally, Hayes' body doesn't exactly match the story told by both Jay and the prosecution. So the prosecution states that there was a fight to the death in Hayes' car, but there are no contusions, no bruises, no broken bones. There's not even a broken nail on her body. No evidence of a fight anywhere on her or as far as anyone can tell in her car and the lividity of her body shows that she was laying face down with something that has a double diamond shape pressed into her chest for a period of eight to 12 hours after her death. But this doesn't really make sense if she's being, you know, driven around in a car all pretzeled up like that. As, as in like a seatbelt or something was being pushed into her chest. Well, the way it looks so there's a whole thing about this on the show, and I don't know enough about this to speculate too much, but they, they actually show the body. It looks like two diamonds pressed into her chest huh. and they conjecture that it looks like a tool um, that a concrete worker would use. Alonzo huh. Sellers was a concrete worker. Oh, but we don't know. What we do know is that again, it would take eight to 12 hours for that diamond shape to be pressed into her chest in order for it to actually register and that the lividity doesn't make sense. You know what lividity is? 
Um, like when you get really mad and then you're in a state of lividity. Kind of think of it this way. Your blood is mad that you've been murdered and all the blood gets together. <laughs> so basically lividity is like if <laughs> when you're when you die and you fall down or you lay down your blood pools because it's not being pumped through your body anymore. Okay. And after it does that, it it basically looks like it, you know, like it it shows where all the blood is pooled. And her lividity shows that she was face down. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And Jay says that she was all pretzeled up in the back of a car before they buried her about 7 30 PM. Right. Which doesn't make sense. Which doesn't make sense. If she's killed at 2 15, 2 20, somewhere in there and buried at 7 30, she doesn't have eight to 12 hours to develop lividity with these two diamond chests, these two diamond shapes in her chest. Got it. So this is a lot of evidence and it seems very much like a new trial would be possible and that it would yield very different results. But we didn't get to find out because in 2019, Maryland's highest court reinstated Adnan Syed's conviction. Why? They said it was the best interest of both parties. Uh, I Wow. I feel like Adnan would disagree with that. But yeah. That- <laughs> That's where shit stayed until this year when just a few days ago, really, the prosecutor's office at the urging of Adnan lawyers at the urging of Adnan's lawyers finally agreed to test the DNA that had been collected in 1999. And we don't have the results of that yet. So when we get we get we get the results of that, we might have a better understanding of what happened to Heyman Lee. Now, the thing about Adnan is that he has steadily maintained that he did not do it. He, he's been in prison since 2000, 22 years now. Wow. No, he's been in prison since he was denied bail. If you listen to the bail, like the, the bail proceedings, it's so racist. Uh, it's so fucking racist. So this is before 9-11, but we had already had the Gulf Wars. So it's not like racism against Muslim people does not exist in the United right. States at this time. And normally... When a person goes to court and they have the support of their community behind them, it's considered a good thing. But the lawyers for the prosecution gets up and states, no, this isn't great in this case because he has the support of the Muslim community. Um, Muslim men are known to attack women when they don't get what they want. There's a there's a long history of this. Side note, there was not. <laughs> like wow. They were like, this is, happens all the time in this area. It didn't. And that prosecutor who made that statement had to actually apologize for saying that because it wasn't true. Not that it mattered because at that point he wasn't, he didn't get bail, but they basically said he has endless funds because his whole Muslim community is behind him. And we know that they don't respect women. Plus we heard, I fucking not even kidding about this. We heard he has an uncle in Pakistan who can make people disappear. What? Yeah. You can listen to it. That's wow. So, you know, um, Rabia and, and uh, his mother, Adnan's mother, strongly feel that racism was a motivation behind the whole arrest. And I don't know about that, but it definitely figured into why he sat in jail as of his arrest. He's been in jail since February 28th. Wow. Um, he never got, and even including when they when they took out his conviction, when they vacated it, still didn't let him out of jail. Wow. So um, he's been sitting in jail and he claims he's not guilty. And because of that, he has been up for parole. 
but they won't parole him because in order to get parole in this country, for the most part, you have to accept guilt and show right. remorse. Right. And he won't do that because he's like, I didn't kill her. And now this is really the nutshell version. And I swear to God, there's, it's entirely possible. I got some of these details wrong. I had to, I read both of Jay's interviews and I just want to go out there and say, um, police officers, please learn how to spell. Uh, it would help me out a lot. Um, there was a lot, <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> a lot of grammar shit that I was like, what the fuck did this person just say? And, you know, it's very clear to me that Jay didn't know what he was saying sometimes. And so, um, <laughs> so it got very convoluted. Uh, it's, it's very clear at this point. Oh, okay. Also, if you watch the, the, uh, case against Adnan Syed at one point the producers approached uh, an ex-girlfriend of his who he has a child with and she called him on the phone on camera and apparently he told her that he made the whole thing up because police had caught him with a bunch of drugs <sighs> and he knew about this murder and so he did what he had to do to get out of trouble <sighs> now of course that doesn't have any I mean you know you don't hear him say that you just hear her conversation on the other line and this is what she said that he said in <sighs> no way does it you know it's not in any way applicable in a court of law but it you are watching it sorry put that time. shit on speaker you know right well, well she didn't know he was going to confess to be fair <laughs> like wow she didn't know he was going to say something like that but that is that that does show again absolutely no relation to what happens in a court of law but there was that um he's changed his story so much the the producers of the show also contacted him at some point and they said according to them that the whole best buy thing was totally made up uh the police said that that would be a better story so he went with that oh my god there's so much wrong with this now also here's another little fun tidbit he when he was represented so all of they i think it was sarah koenig went and interviewed a couple of the jurors and they were like we believe jay you know why would you say something like this then get yourself in, in trouble knowing you were going to go to jail for it fun fact jay didn't go to jail so and she they didn't know that sarah koenig told them that she was like nope that's not what happened so the prosecutor of the case kevin urich obtained a pro bono lawyer for him. The prosecutor obtained a lawyer for the person he is charging with a crime. What? And that lawyer basically got him probation. Whoa. That is very, very unusual for a prosecutor to do that. And Christina Gutierrez in, in her defense of her being a halfway decent lawyer made a big deal about this during the trial. And the judge said, well, while it's not normal and it is shady as hell, he doesn't seem to realize that that's unusual. And as long as he doesn't know it's unusual, then he doesn't feel like he's indebted to them. So, uh, you know, a for effort, he, but it doesn't really being, make a difference. Jay. He being Jay. Yeah. And of course, the thing is, you don't fucking know what Jay thinks. Right. You don't fucking know what Jay thinks. And, you know, even if Jay told you who thinks something, uh, he thinks he, he doesn't tell the truth. You know, by his own admission, he's a fucking liar. So it's very weird to me that they were like, uh, seems shady, but we're just going to let it go, which is basically wow. what happened. Wow. This case, 
Jesus fucking Christ. Now, if Adnan, if Adnan did it, um, then he's a sociopath um, because like he has maintained from the very beginning that he had nothing to do with it. Um, he's been very upfront about it. Uh, he's there's, if you listen to him talk, he's very convincing. He's very convincing. And, you know, he also, he was, they describe him as the golden boy. He was a very good student. He got very good grades. He was his junior prom King. He was a medical tech. He was going to college in the fall. Wow. He had everything going for him. Jay did not. Wow. And it's interesting to me that they took Jay's word over Adnan's. Right. There's no getting around the fact that Jay knew something about this murder. Right. Because he led them to the car. He led them to the car. Right. So there's no getting around the fact that he knew something about this murder. And Christina Gutierrez at the trial tried to make it look like Jay committed the murder. If he did, I don't know why he would. And, uh, and it, I don't, I don't even know if that works for the time frame because it's, it's an, it's by Adnan's own admission, he was with Jay on the 13th. But what I don't understand and what has never made sense is why Jen Pusatiri was like, yeah, he got out. I picked him up. He got out of Adnan's car, came into my car. And the first thing he told me was that Adnan killed Hay. Right. I don't know why he did that. I think maybe because he, okay, speculation, maybe because he did it and he felt guilty. And so, but he could maybe because he did it and he immediately wanted someone else to take the fall for it, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, or like, you know, he felt guilty potentially and wanted to talk about it, but of course he couldn't talk about it in terms of him doing it. He there are a couple of theories about why he might've done it. Um, it, like I said, Hey, and Jay were not friends. They didn't really know each other. Um, Stephanie was a good friend of Adnan's and Stephanie was Jay's girlfriend. It's possible that Hay caught Jay cheating on Stephanie. Mm -hmm. Now, if Stephanie McPherson, she was Jay's girlfriend. And when I was researching this, I was like, what does Stephanie have to say about the, all this? And the answer is nothing, which I think is weird. Yeah. Huh. But, and she, if you look her up, home bitch was stunning, stunning, a model, beautiful. And she was um, successful. She was in the gate program. They talk a lot about how uh, like Adnan and Stephanie were in this, you know, basically you remember um, we AP, their version of AP. Uh-huh. And Jay wasn't part of that group. And he even talks sometimes about how he wasn't part of that group, but he kind of hung out with them anyway. And it was very clear that there was a divide between people who were in this group and people who were not. So AP is advanced placement. So that, so, th so just yeah. in case people don't know, this is, in so in other words, know. these kids were kind of, um, the, the known as the smart kids and yeah. The ones, and they were living up to that. Like these kids were succeeding, you know, right. they were not they were like R.I.P. kids. <laughs> well, not like R.I.P. kids who smoke pot in the parking lot. That you was know, well, you. That was I you. We both know pot is not my drug of choice. Um, True. But there were plenty of us. Although, yeah, there were like, well, I remember your class. We could go on this later, but I remember your class was the one that was all friendly cheaters. And my oh, yes. class was the one that was all, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our class 
uh, because we had deaf kids in our, in our class. We all had all kinds of opportunity to cheat. So we all at least knew the alphabet, if not more. And so, yeah, dude, especially on, um, multiple choice, we would just sign the answers to each other. Amazing. (laughs) You know what? Because amazing. This is about sharing knowledge. This is about community. I think it's an indication of intellect that y'all figured out a way to do it and did it. I agree. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I I was a tutor for years and I can tell you that they use cell phones the exact same way. Um, but in oh, this yeah. case, yeah, right. Hello. Just text you the answer. That's yeah, fine. No, they just took a picture of the test. They were like, click. Uh, All right. Now everybody has it. Um, amazing. Well, Love and then, them. then there was the time my friend gave me a cheat sheet for Miss Beidelman's quiz, oh, English quiz. God, I remember that. I, I had been at dance rehearsal so late the night before I hadn't had time to study. And so I stuck it under my... I was like, let me see how much I can do of this on my own. Cause I actually, you know, I was a good student, but, but I wasn't, you know, I also was like, well, if there's a way to get an A we're going, we're going with that baby. We know what we were in this for. (laughs) Yeah. But I had, I had the cheat sheet under my quiz and I was like, just trying to do my quiz without it. But the corner of it was poking out and Ms. Beidelman walked by and pulled it out. And she looked at me and she goes, you, you sold, sold your soul. soul. She was the weirdest. Like, <laughs> bitch, I, you know, it's rough out there. I had dance rehearsal. I did not sell my soul, honey. And you had to go back to her classroom. She oh. gave me a you in behavior. She gave me an unsatisfactory. <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever. The, yeah. o- the only you I've ever gotten. Oh, uh, not yeah. the only one I ever got. Yeah. Well. Um, Anyway, but yeah, so anyway, in this case, there, there is a pretty clear divide when people talk about like the, the kids who were in their version of AP and the kids who were not, and Jay was not. And I do feel like there was some resentment there yeah, for him. So when, when Adnan won for, I think it was his junior homecoming king, you know, it wasn't prom. I think it was homecoming. Uh, Stephanie won too. So huh. they were dancing together. Um, <gasps> Interesting. There's there's a possible jealousy factor there. Right. I mean, because other than that, I don't, there's no other link between Hay and Jay. I, I don't see any reason for him to kill her. And it's, it's worth noting, though, that in Jay's lifetime since then, he has been arrested over 20 times, uh, several of them for assault. One point, he assaulted a police officer. Hmm. But... There are very few arrests that go with those charges. Right. Because the cops are like, we need you to look like. I don't know why. Legitimate. I think just because they know that that story was bullshit. Jay knows that that story was bullshit. And they're just kind of like, we're not going to poke that bear too hard. It's what it comes down to. Um, that's what I think. I don't have any proof. This is allegedly, allegedly, but it's not alleged that he's been arrested a number of times for assault, domestic and otherwise, and that he has not faced very many of those charges. Interesting. So, um, you know, Jay is not what you and I would consider a success story. Right. Uh, lots of shit went weird there. And I, for the life of me, do not understand how this case played out the way it did because there's so, I mean, it feels to me like they just went, Oh, the boyfriend did it. The ex-boyfriend did it. 
they really played into the whole um he was a muslim muslims don't like being dis- disrespected by their women there was a lot of what felt like that going on right and they made that arrest and then they went and looked at the they, they made the arrest without fucking looking at the cell phone records and then they went and looked at the cell phone records and they were like oh yeah it's almost like they were like oh we're gonna look like a bunch of assholes for doing this uh yeah, we gotta fix this so right yeah exactly well should we consult the stars tell me Okay. I'm dying to know because the one thing you said when we started looking at this was like, oh, Jay's chart is so boring. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It, wa- it wasn't Jay's chart that I was talking about. It was uh, oh. Anand's chart. Oh. Yeah. But, okay. but it's actually very telling. So let's start with Heyman. A couple things jump out to me in her chart. The first is that she has the sun exactly conjunct Pluto in Libra at 21 degrees. The sun rules a person's identity and Pluto, as we know, holds shadow energies. And yes, as we've talked about many times, death. And then Libra is the sign of justice. So this is a person whose identity, the sun, is somehow connected to shadow energies, death and justice. Okay. Ooh, okay. She also has Uranus conjunct Mercury in Scorpio. Do we need to review what a conjunction is? Uh, yes, please do. Okay. A conjunction, an exact conjunction is when two placements are exactly the same, right? So they're both sure. at like 20 degrees of, you know, Leo or whatever. They're okay. And so it looks like in the, in the chart, it looks like they're right on top of each other. Okay. okay. So she has Uranus conjunct Mercury in Scorpio. Both Uranus and Mercury are the most anxious, nervous planets in the Zodiac. So when they team up, you've got something really erratic and often anxiety producing. Also, Mercury rules Gemini, Uranus rules Aquarius. These are air signs and she was strangled. Okay, so I just think Hmm. that's worth noting because on top of that, Uranus marks sudden unexpected changes and Scorpio is the house of death and rebirth. Now, can that death be figurative? Sure. Breakups are a kind of death. Quitting your job is a kind of death. Moving, you know, moving is a kind of death. But can it also be literal death when we're dealing with Scorpio? Yeah. So with Uranus and Scorpio, we have sudden unexpected death, conjunct Mercury, We have high anxiety, super erratic energy, and we have the element of air in association with this death. But let's just pause there because tons of people have that placement. I do, for example, I have Mercury conjunct Uranus in Scorpio. So just remember that this is one way out of many that this combo can manifest in a person's chart. But the thing is, there's more going on here because this conjunction goes deeper. That conjunction... Uranus and Mercury in Scorpio is then being opposed by Chiron in Taurus. Chiron marks wounds that we carry, our deepest wounds, and Chiron in Taurus marks the wound of loss. So when we put all of these puzzle pieces together, we have a quick, unexpected, high anxiety, even scary, we could say, death that's being influenced by the element of air and that's being opposed by a deep wound around loss. Okay. Okay. Briefly, 
let's talk about Jay's chart. I see a couple things to call out. One is that he has Saturn square Neptune. Saturn is the planet of prisons and the police, among other things. And it's butting up against Neptune, the planet of lying, among other things. Mm. So I can mm. definitely see how lying to the police came into play for him in this case. But I can also see that the police lying in their relationship with Jay would be a part of this case, right? Like all of the mm. sort of feeding him the answers and all of that. This is just a lie snake eating its own tail. Right, exactly. Neptune also can represent addiction and escapism. So drug activity that was at odds with the police, aka illegal drug activity, aka Neptune square Saturn, makes sense. And also trying to figure out a way to escape the police and escape prison. That makes sense with Neptune square Saturn as well. Mission accomplished. Right. He also has Uranus and Scorpio as Heyman did because it's one of the slower moving planets and they were all kind of born around yeah. the same time. Yeah, yeah. But in Jay's case, it's square to Venus. Venus represents women, the feminine, etc. So now we have a quick, unexpected death with a woman. That's one way of reading this. Now, okay. Does it mean he murdered her? No, it could just mean that a woman's quick, unexpected death will have challenging consequences in his life. And I say challenging because we're working with a square. Okay. Lastly, he has Pluto square sun. Now this is just some shit. This is someone who has a real dark side and has to go through serious transformation to change their life around. Whether or not they do is up to them but they have to, if they want to turn their life around. Now I'm going to go ahead and put out there that I don't think we haven't seen that of change took place. We have not seen that thus far. Let me say that. I don't think Jay's in therapy. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Therapy. Go, go <laughs> therapy. Therapy. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now the dark side, when I say dark side, that could totally be about drugs. It could be about violence, could be about sexual assault, because you know these are all Plutonian things. But mostly it's about someone who battles for control, has big control issues, and gets visibly agitated when they're not in control of a situation to the point where they can become threatening. Now, again, does this mean he killed Heyman? No, not necessarily, but there's definitely some dark shit there in his chart. Okay, Adnan's chart. The first thing I see in his chart is pretty crazy. It's Chiron conjunct Mars in Taurus, opposite Uranus in Scorpio. So just want to point out real quick that all three of them have some crazy aspect impacting their Uranus in Scorpio. And again, Uranus is quick, unexpected, unpredictable behavior or energy. Scorpio is death, right? So all three of them have this, some, some very intense aspect impacting their Uranus and Scorpio. Hey, Min has Uranus and Scorpio conjunct Mercury opposing Chiron. Jay has Uranus and Scorpio square to Venus. And Anan has Uranus and Scorpio opposite Chiron conjunct Mars. So let's go through Anan's. Chiron conjunct Mars. Let's review. 
Chiron oversees our deepest wounds and also the places where if we choose to go on a healing journey, we can create incredible healing for ourselves and others. But if we don't go on that healing journey, we just wound others from our wounded place. As you always like to call it, Chiron, the woundy wound. The woundy wounder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mars in its power is a planet of action, bravery, lust, and healthy masculine energy. In its shadow, Mars is violent, aggressive, defensive, and sexually forceful. Rape can be a part of Mars energy when it's in its shadow. When your deepest wound is intertwined with Mars, it can look two ways. It can look like someone who's super passive, who doesn't believe in themselves, doesn't go after what they want, doesn't stand up for themselves. Like that's like weakened Mars energy, right? That could be the wound. Okay. Or it can look like the opposite. Someone who gets triggered emotionally by their wounds and then gets violent. This is even more the case because Uranus is opposite Chiron in the chart. And Uranus is the planet of knee-jerk reactions and unpredictable behavior. So this but, is Adnan's chart. Yes. Interesting. But it's a wide conjunction. Chiron's at 18 degrees of Taurus and Uranus is at 28 degrees of Scorpio. So this is not a super strong opposition. The other okay. thing... To the other thing to think about is that Chiron is in Taurus and this is the wound of loss. And that loss could be in relationship to something violent. That's Mars. And it could come out of nowhere, super unexpectedly. That's the Uranus opposition. So maybe he got emotionally triggered and had a knee jerk reaction that was violent, or maybe he experienced a sudden unexpected loss related to violence as in the loss of his loss freedom. Of his freedom. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And maybe not being assertive and having low self-esteem are in there at, you know, at some point, but also maybe it's sort of like, maybe that's where Christina well, Gutierrez have, comes it in. It could have been it. It could have been a blow. I understand that he was pretty sad after the breakup. Um, they went back and forth as teenagers do, you know, for eight months, she kept breaking up with him and then they kept getting back together. And um, in a moment of complete disrespect for her privacy her diary has been read online pretty oh. thoroughly yeah and in it she talks a lot about how um you know she's like she she has this entry where she was like you need to respect my decision to end this kind of a thing so you you definitely get the idea that they would break things off and then adnan would approach her to get back together and they would hmm um and then when the last time they broke up they broke up because she wanted to date dawn Got it. Yeah. But to Adnan's, you know, the other side of that is that within weeks, Adnan was already, you know, calling other girls, had hooked up with a couple of other girls. That's that sounds about right. That sounds yeah, like this sounds like 18 year old male energy, you know, like <laughs> well, it sounds like so sad. Hug me, you know. Is, like, is it just 18? I don't know. <laughs> it's not. I don't know. <laughs> it's not. So, yeah, so this is intense. And I feel like you could make an astrological case for him being guilty based on that. But then fucking get this. Adnan has Neptune opposite Mercury. Now, I don't normally quote other astrologers on here, but when I saw this aspect in Adnan's chart, I was immediately like, oh shit, this is intense. And so I cross-checked it with one of my favorite astrologers, Astrology King, to make sure I wasn't missing any details. And then I was like, I'm just going to read this verbatim because it's too crazy. So here's what Astrology King says about Neptune opposite Mercury. And obviously he, was, he wasn't like, 
in the case of Anand Sayed. Right. Right. Okay. So this is what it says. Mercury opposite Neptune natal gives a vivid imagination and creative talent, but can cause disappointment in close relationships. The basic problem here is a mental one because your perception of reality is weakened. You hear and see what everyone else does, but by the time it's processed in your brain, you have a different picture in your mind. Your mind is unable to filter out the clutter or background noise, so you're bombarded by way too much data or information. This oversensitivity to your environment causes confusion when you start to interact with others and share messages. Miscommunication is common and can easily spiral into accusations of deception and lying. Actions and responses based on the wrong information can lead to further complications, arguments, or a total breakdown in communication. This makes it difficult to keep up healthy relationships because of confusion, mistrust, and suspicion. It's also possible that you incorrectly perceive another person's character traits or intentions. Therefore, you're more vulnerable to deception and scandal, being used, abused, and ripped off. Yikes. Big fucking yikes. So did he get used and ripped off by Jay? Was he deceived? One wonders. Okay. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and look at how the astrology on that day, the day that Heyman was killed, affected all three of their charts. God, what I'd give for birth times. God, for real. (sighs) So let's start with her. On the day that she was murdered, Pluto, the moon, and Chiron were all motherfucking conjunct. (laughs) This is wild. Pluto the moon and Chiron. So they weren't exactly conjunct, but they're all right next to each other within like seven degrees. So that's like, you know, I've given this visual before, like when you're wearing a necklace with three beads and right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Gather at the bottom of the necklace. That's what these three were doing. Just hanging out all next to each other. Like, What are you talking about? Pluto, planet of death, rage, jealousy, power struggles, the moon overseer of emotions and deception, and Chiron ruler of our deepest wounds. Just like, hey, y'all want to fuck some shit up? Yeah. They're like, oh, fuck yeah, let's get together. Yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. Bad fucking news. This is like a deep emotional wound gets triggered and abuse, betrayal, violence, murder, result. That's this conjunction. And it happens to be sitting directly on top of her Mars. Mars in its shadow is a planet of aggression, violence, and rape. Although we don't have any cause to think that she was sexually assaulted. We don't even know what the intention was around, like, what was, why, why was she murdered? We had, that's, I mean, it would be so much easier if we knew and that there are so many uh, you know if it was Adnan it's because uh she broke up with him ostensibly right. if it was her current boyfriend who knows they could have gotten into an argument someone has put forth a theory that it was one a male in her family so she came from a very she wasn't supposed to be dating like uh, they had to sneak around as in and I mean like really sneak around as in like remember how we used to have call waiting yes Remember that? So in order to call each other, one of them would pick up the phone and call time. 
And then the other, and they would let the other person know, Hey, I'm going to do that at midnight. Cause they also couldn't do it when their parents wake Cause they couldn't risk their parents catching them on the phone with a person of the opposite sex. So at like midnight, Hey would call time. And then Adnan would call in and the call, like she would get that the call waiting was coming in and she'd click over and accept his phone call. They were renting hotel rooms to have sex. Wow. They were fucking in a Best Buy parking lot, you know, at his prom, at his junior prom where he was made, I think, no, I think it was a different dance. I don't think it was that one, but at one of the dances where they were together, Anand's parents, who were also very opposed Strict. to him dating, showed up at the dance. Eek. And Hay was very upset by this. Yikes. Her family wasn't a whole lot better. So a theory has been put forth on Reddit, which by the way, don't go on Reddit and ask about this case. You will spend hours and your eyes and brain will hurt afterwards, but um, has been put forth that a male member of her family did whatever their version of like an honor killing is and yeah. not, not even like, cause you know, they don't really have that. I don't think, but you know, and that, that doesn't belong to the Muslim culture at all. I'm not putting that out there. That is something that cults do. Um, but that, an argument ensued about the fact that she had dated Adnan and that she was now dating this, you know, white guy that she was working with who was also older. He was 22. Oh. Um, and that something happened, you know, right. Something happened. Something bad happened. My only issue with that is how the fuck does Jay know? Right. How did he know where the car was? How the fuck does, how does Jay know? How does right. Jay know? How did Jay get into a car with Jennifer Pusateri and say Adnan killed Hay? She's dead before anyone knew Hay was dead. Right. Right. So he, yeah. So it has to come back to Jay in some way. It has to come back to Jay in some way. Unless okay. they're both lying. But I don't, I mean, if you, if you watch the case against Adnan Syed and you watch Jen Pusateri, cause she talks about it and she's, this was, the case against Adnan Sayed, I think, was filmed in like 2018, somewhere around there. And Jen Pusateri's, you know, our age ish. Like, she's like, I want, no I, I don't know what to tell you. I want nothing to do with this. This is what happened. Yikes. And that's it. Okay. Well, let's see what else the stars can tell us. So, so we have this conjunction, right? On, that's sitting on top of her Mars. This bad vibes conjunction. Pluto, Chiron, Moon, right? And then on that day, Mars, so not her natal Mars, but where Mars was on that day, was conjunct her Pluto. Are you, is this making sense? I, no, I hear you what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So you have a double whammy of Mars conjunct Pluto. When you look at her chart and how it was being affected by the chart of the day. Okay. Her, her Pluto is conjunct the Mars of the day. And the Pluto of the day is conjunct her Mars. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. Because, because these are the two most violent planets, Pluto and Mars. Not just that, but on that day, Uranus, planet of sudden, unexpected jolts, knee-jerk reaction shocks, was square to her Chiron. So now we have the day sending a sudden, out-of-nowhere, unforeseen shock that is deeply wounding, right? To her Chiron. Also on this day, Jupiter, the Jupiter of the day was opposite her Jupiter. Now that in itself is not necessarily a negative thing. In fact, like it could be really good. Jupiter is a planet of go big or go home, right? It wants right, everything to yeah. get 
bigger to expand. So when you have transit Jupiter, that's the Jupiter of the day opposite your natal Jupiter, the Ju where Jupiter was when you were born, things are going to reach a climax. So if you have a bunch of super tight astrology going on around that, then fuck yeah, Jupiter opposite Jupiter is awesome. It'll make all that awesome astrology bigger. But, yeah, but if you have bad vibes, planets yes. hanging out in your, in your unfortunate planet necklace, things are problematic. Right. At the very least, extremely challenging astrology up in her chart. Some of the most challenging that I can think of. And then Jupiter opposite Jupiter is like, yeah, actually, if we could blow this little photo up to a Times Square billboard, that'd be great. So it's taking all this energy around death and abuse and betrayal and violence and amplifying it big time. Okay, now let's look at how the astrology of that day was affecting Jay's chart. The first thing that jumps out is that the astrology of January 13th, 1999, with the astrology of Jay's chart is creating a grand cross. A grand We've cross. We've talked about this before, right? Yes, we've seen a grand cross before and it's not fun. It sounds cool. I was going to say, it sounds, I remember being like, oh, and then, oh. No, yeah, it's not. It's super challenging. And the reason for that is because it creates two oppositions and four squares. And squares and oppositions are not tight. They're not fun. So let's look at what's going on. First, it's easier to understand this astrology if you can visualize it. A grand cross looks like when you're a kindergartner and you draw a window in a house, you know? Like yeah. you draw a square, and then inside it, you, you draw, draw the two lines, the two lines, four little squares, right? Exactly. Yeah. A vertical line down the middle and then a horizontal line across the middle to make the window pane. Right. Okay. So that's, that's exactly what a grand cross looks like. The window pane across in the middle is, uh, is the two oppositions in the chart, right? The, the cross that you have in the middle, those are the oppositions and every corner of the window itself is one of the squares. So you have four squares total. Does this make sense? Yes. Got okay. it. Okay. So let's look at the oppositions. The first one is on that day, the sun was opposing Jay's North node, which means that it was also conjunct his South node, meaning the sun was sitting right on top of his South node. So if you're thinking about the vertical line in the middle of the window at one end is Jay's North node. And at the other end of that line is his natal South node. What are those planets for him, by the way? And the transit sun. What do you mean? Like, what is it? What's his North node? What's his South? Well, I'm sorry, not the planets. What are the signs for that? Um, okay. So we're going to get there. Okay. I'm okay. Ahead. <clears throat> I'm an AP student. Yeah. Calm down. Calm down. AP smoking <laughs> weed in the bathroom or whatever. Okay. So the sun represents our ego, our image, and our will. So during the time of this transit, Jay's ego was in alignment with what he was meant to let go of. That's the South node, right? The South node is what we've already learned to do in past lives. It's easy. It's comfortable for us, but not what we're meant to be doing anymore because it just won't work if we keep going back to it, right? We're meant to expand into the North node. And the sun was in opposition to his north node, right? So in other words, his ego, the sun, was at odds with his higher self. So that's the first challenge, the ego getting in the way of his higher purpose. So let's take it a step further. The sun was in Capricorn and it was opposite his north node in Cancer. 
So Capricorn is where we see government systems like the police and prisons. Mm -hmm. It's it's also related to addiction, but Cap doesn't rep the addict. It reps the pusher man. Because as we know, Cap loves money. And we know Jay was selling drugs. Money, money, money. Yes, that's correct. So Cancer, where his North Node is, is about emotions, family, home, tenderness. So that's what he's essentially rejecting during this transit. Okay, on to the second opposition. So this is the horizontal line in the window pane. On January 13th, 1999, Saturn was opposite Jay's Pluto. So we could look at this in a couple ways. Again, Saturn oversees the cops and prisons. Pluto oversees our need to control and be in power. So here we see the cops sort of pressuring Jay and wielding control over him in a way that makes him sort of like, you know, he's not in control anymore, right? They're the ones who have the power in the situation. So Saturn opposite Pluto transit is also a time when you see people going to extremes with a win at all costs attitude. It's a time when people become susceptible to the idea that the ends justify the means. But what's even more interesting about this opposition is that on that day, Mars was conjunct Jay's Pluto. So this adds another layer to the opposition because now Mars is involved. If this is sounding familiar, that's because Heyman had this too. I was going to say, didn't we just say this? Yes, which makes sense because they were all born around the same time. Sure. The difference is that for Heyman, this conjunction was off by five degrees. For Jay, Mars and Pluto are only off by two degrees. So this is a very tight, very strong conjunction. And as we know, Mars and its shadow oversees violence, abuse, sexual assault, aggression. Pluto represents rage, jealousy, rape, and sexual assault, and death. So we have Mars influencing Jay's Pluto on that day. And then on top of it, it's getting this pressure from Saturn, which points to the police for sure, but it also points to this extreme power struggle where in the end, a person can feel like the ends justify the means. And then all four of those points are square. That's the window, right? So Saturn and Mars were square to his North node on that day. Saturn was also square to his sun and the sun of that day was square to his Pluto. I won't go into all of these since we basically just kind of talked about what all of these energies do and and look like, but basically all of these, Pluto, Mars, Saturn, his North node, his South node, and the sun, they're all in a big fucking fight. Mm. One last thing. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. One last thing before I move on to on to Anon. Remember when we were talking about Heyman's chart and I was saying that on that day, the moon, Pluto and Chiron were conjunct and that was all conjunct her Mars? Yes. Well, for Jay, that trio, moon, Pluto, Chiron, is conjunct his Uranus. So that means- The that sudden tr- thing. Yes, that trio of painful, emotional wounds, rage, jealousy, death, all of that is now joining up with, with his planet of knee-jerk reactions and shocks. The question is, was it him having a knee-jerk reaction because he got emotionally triggered and did something shocking? Or was he shocked on this day to find out about something deeply emotional and triggering a death, for example, that was bringing sure, a up murder. Kind of, right. Yeah. 
So that's the question. We don't obviously know. Let's look at Adnan. So since we were just talking about that moon Pluto Chiron conjunction on that day, let's see how it's affecting Adnan's chart. So all three charts of, of all of them, when you look at all three of them, it's affecting his the least. It's conjunct his Uranus as well, but to a lesser degree than Jay's. His Uranus is at 28 degrees of Scorpio. And on that day, Chiron was at zero degrees of Sag. The moon was, you know, the moon moves really fast throughout the day, but it was averaging at seven degrees of Sagittarius. And the Pluto and Pluto was at nine degrees of Sag. So still, Anand's Uranus is super close to Chiron on that day. And also it started out really close to the moon at the beginning of the day, but he definitely has his Uranus right there. It's two degrees from Chiron where Chiron was on that day. So again, we're looking at something that suddenly triggers wounds, but the question remains, was it Haman's disappearance that shocked and wounded him? Or was it that he had a knee jerk reaction to a wound he was carrying that made him act crazy? Well, let's keep looking here. This Chiron Uranus conjunction is being opposed by his son in Gemini. So we're looking at Chiron. He's a Gemini. Yes, he's a Gemini. So we're looking at Chiron opposing his son. This transit is, as I'm sure you can already guess, no fun. This is a tough transit. Essentially, Chiron is revealing its wounds to you during this time. Those wounds are becoming more visible, meaning less able to be hidden because now they're under the light of the sun. It's a time when your power is being weakened by the wounds that you carry. And because of that, a lot of times people can, when they feel themselves becoming disempowered for some reason, they might sort of revolt in an attempt to reclaim their power and behave in ways that are totally out of character. Now, what that looks like exactly in Anand's case, we don't know, but there it is. Another aspect of this transit is your public image, right? This is another way that this can manifest because the sun embodies the image we project to the outside world. And when it's up against Chiron, what can often happen is you find yourself in a situation where you have to prove yourself to others. People question your goodness, question your respectability because your wounds are at the forefront and that's what people are seeing. So it's an either or and it's really, yeah, I mean- Maybe it's a little bit of both, but it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And that's, it's so Gemini. It's so Gemini to be like, could be this, could, could be, that. be that. Right. Totally. What do you think? You know, we're, and like, this is the thing in a case like this, before I look at all of the massive fuck ups that police made, and there are a lot, I look at this dude knew where her car was, told his friend that she was dead before people knew. And what gets me about that is that if this story is correct, if everybody's telling the truth and remembering things relatively closely, then as of January 13th, at least Jen Pusateri and Jay Wilds knew that Hay was gone. Right. And nobody came forward with that. Right. Which means they sat on that information for almost a month. Right. She was found on the 9th. Right. So that to me is I'm like, you knew this girl was dead. You knew her parents were frantic and looking for her. And you at least thought you knew who did it. 
and you just went about your business. Right. Okay. That's interesting. But given that he knew where her car was, given that he had told someone else, he told a couple people, actually, he told another person, another friend of his that Adnan had called him up when he was playing pool somewhere. Again, I don't know how he did that since he didn't have a cell phone, but his, his testimony to this friend is that Adnan somehow reached him at this pool hall he was playing at. And then was like, hey, I, you know, I got to show you something. Come meet me. And that like there was this back and forth about Jay not wanting to do it. And finally, he comes out to the parking lot and he shows him Hayes' body in the parking lot of this pool hall. So Jay can't keep his fucking story straight to save his life. And but what gets me about it is that they had this information. And them having that information. Feels like, well, he's got to be guilty. You know, I mean, you have Jay. this information. Yeah, not yeah. not. Not necessarily Jay, maybe Jay, but like, you know, he, he says Adnan did it. He told Jen that he doesn't have any reason to kill Hay. Not a one that we know of. Right. Normally without looking at anything, I'd be like, oh, okay. The ex-boyfriend did it like that checks out. And then you look at everything else and you're like, oh, right. And it's right. And it does. So exactly like, okay. Like Asia McLean saw him in the library. Okay, then he couldn't have done it. Okay, then who the fuck did? Like, who the fuck did? Why would Jay has no reason? No right. reason to kill him. That we know of. Right. Not a single one. Well. And if he did do it, then his first thought immediately was, I have to blame someone else for this. Right. Yeah. Like, immediately. Because if he did it, he did it on the 13th. He hung out with Adnan. He hung out with him, knowing he just killed his ex-girlfriend. And then after hanging out with him, got in a car with a close friend and told that close friend that the guy that he'd just been hanging out with killed his ex-girlfriend and that he saw the body and that he helped that person bury the body. Right. Yeah. I Like what? There's yeah. so much what in that for me. Totally. Yeah. I, I, they're both very unsatisfying, but it's got to be one of the two. <sighs> Well, I just don't see any way it could be anyone but Jay or Adnan. Right. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Okay. But let's keep looking at this part of Adnan's chart because I think, I don't know, it's not answer. It's not going to give us any answers, but it is giving us clues. So we were talking about Chi- he has Chiron Uranus conjunct being opposed by his son in Gemini, right? Yes. So- the sun rules Leo. And so part of this little puzzle is looking, is looking at what placements Adnan has in Leo to try to understand more about how this opposition is affecting him. Adnan has his North node in Leo. So to me, it's just fucking fascinating the way that both Jay and Adnan's North nodes play such a prominent role in the astrology of this day. For Adnan, That means that this conflict between his son and transit Chiron is affecting his ability to move forward in his life, to expand into what he's meant to learn and take on. That's one way of looking at it. Another is that when you have your North node in Leo, 
you're kind of meant to be famous, you know, on some level or anyway, you're meant to expand into the energy of being in the spotlight and being well, again, mission accomplished, right. With attention. So exactly from that perspective, we could think of this as the Chiron sun opposition is the thing that's putting him in the spotlight and allowing his North node in Leo to manifest itself. It just so happens that he's not famous manifestation. Yeah. For something that's awesome and fun, you know, it's not fucking Channing Tatum or whatever you know, he's actually <laughs> incarcerated. So I love that that's where you went. <laughs> um, because I was on uh, Insta the other day and I follow this account where they post these like sort of like 90s, a lot of like 90s and early 2000s nostalgia photos. And there was a photo of Channing Tatum when he was a stripper, when he was actually a stripper in Florida before he got famous. And he was like giving this young college girl a hot, uh, like sexy lap dance. And I was like, wow, this photo is literally everything to me. And I don't even <laughs> like him Channing. and her. Can you imagine? And then he goes on to be like massively famous. Anyway. Amazing. Um, yeah. So he's not, he's not pulling a Channing Tatum here with this Leo situation. It's like, It's a huge fucking bummer. Okay. There's another opposition we need to look at in Anand's chart. And that is transit Pluto. The Pluto of that day was opposing Anand's Venus. So the planet of death, rage, abuse, et cetera, was in opposition to Venus, which is women, love, relationships. That definitely points to his ex-girlfriend getting murdered. But does it also point to him being the murderer? What's really interesting is that also on this day, Venus was exactly conjunct Uranus, both at 11 degrees of Aquarius. So this means sudden, unexpected emotional upsets, particularly with women or femme folks, because Venus rules the feminine. And that conjunction on this day was trine to Adnan's Venus, which was being opposed by transit Pluto. So if you put all this info together, you have this emotional shock, particularly around women, showing up in the astrology of that day. And that has this direct relationship to Adnan's Venus, AKA his relationships and the women in his life, which is being opposed by this force of death and abuse and rage and violence. That's Pluto. Okay. One last thing in his chart to think about on that day, Mars was conjunct Adnan's Pluto as it was for all three of them, because they're all born so close to each other. As I've already talked about, Putting Pluto and Mars together is the most violent combo possible. And for Adnan, that conjunction is trying his Mercury. Mercury controls how we think and also communication. So was this violent combo influencing his mind, resulting in a violent eruption from him? Or was he receiving news, aka communication on this day that was about some super fucked up Pluto conjunct Mars shit? Well, Let's consider for a moment one of the aspects I talked about in his chart at the top. Remember I was talking about his Mercury squared Neptune in his chart? Yes. And how that would make it so that people didn't believe you and think you were lying and you could get ripped off? Well, this Mars-Pluto conjunction is now part of that energy because it's trying to it. So there's something about this Mars-Pluto conjunction, this fucked up violence happening in Libra, the sign of justice, that's affecting this Mercury-Neptune opposition and in some way fueling this energy of not being believed, 
being seen as a liar and being ripped off in some way. And that Interesting. Is, is the astrology of Hey Min Lee, Jay Wilds, and Anand Syed. You know, what gets me about this is that normally when we do these, even when it's like ones where we don't officially know, we kind of know. Yeah. You know, normally it's like, eh, it's, it's right there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's right there. Nope. Not this time, baby. <laughs> well, and that's what I think is so interesting, especially like when you're thinking about this Mercury opposite Neptune, when they talk about like total breakdown in communication. I mean, that's essentially one way of summarizing this case, just a total oh, fucking breakdown. To I mean, like, and not even subtle, like everything from people's stories changing to the cops telling people it happened on this day, we assure you to the fucking cell phone records to them, yeah. like changing shit for the cell phone records and then changing. Then it turned out they didn't need to change it. It didn't fucking matter because the cell phone records don't aren't can't be used for that. Right. You know? Like, sorry, right. like none of this. haha, jokes on you. None of that matters anyway to like Asia McLean getting in touch with the lawyer, right. the lawyer stating, you know, like, oh, I called her back. She actually, it's the wrong date to that not happening to her, like being dead. So we can't check with her, but to everybody verifying that the last five years she was in La La Land mentally because she right. was degrading from multiple. I mean, like just the, the amount of bullshit in this case, it's like, maybe he did it. It's possible. It's not impossible, but there is so much doubt, so much doubt that yeah. I don't understand how you can keep him in prison. Well, and that's another and thing. I, another thing that's so interesting is when you think about Mercury opposite Neptune, cell phones are ruled by Mercury. When they're opposite Neptune, now you have this breakdown in communication. And so again, you just keep seeing all of the things that came up in the case represented in these charts. It's so, it, it's so true. And you know, what I just keep thinking about is her poor family, <sighs> because as far as they're concerned, he did it right. You know, the police told them that, that he did it. They are convinced he did it. They didn't want her dating. Um, they weren't pleased that she was dating him. So for them, this is kind of a realization of their fears. Right, totally. But it checks out for them, which is another miscommunication because young women are going to date. It's what happens in America. This is pretty normal. Other cultures come here and then this happens. You know, I mean, like they were from South Korea. They brought their daughter and she became an American. Right. And she wanted to do what young American girls do. And she did it. And there was miscommunication between them because she was not telling them that that's what she was doing right. as we all did as teenagers. Like right. we all did shit. We didn't tell our parents it's normal, but because of that, you know, they're believing the police, right? They're believing that he, they said he did it. He did it. It's just the way it is. They have fought tooth and nail to keep uh, Adnan in jail. I absolutely understand you know, I absolutely understand, but it's also, it's, it's just one of those things where I'm like, there's no satisfaction for them because if the other thing is that after all these fuck ups, if it is, and now we're, we're, and now the only, we got DNA, they never tested it. Can't believe it blows my mind. The only solid thing they had never fucking tested it. Okay. Now they're going to do it. We'll see what it says, unless it's something definitive. Unless it's like we found Adnan's uh, 
semen inside her, you know, something so definitive, like she was sexually assaulted. Yes. His skin is under her fingernails, you know, something like that. We will never know. I'm hoping that this DNA is that we it's conclusive. God, I hope so. God, I hope so. I hope it's inclusive. I hope it gives her family something because I can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine the pain. And his family too. They both lost children, but you know, his mother can go hug him. She'll never hug her daughter again. Right. And I have a daughter. I can't imagine. And I have a son. I can't imagine. Yeah. And it's it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking all the way around. And at the end of the day, you know, let's place the blame where it's due. This police department fudged this so fucking bad fucked up fucked like, up wow yeah. so wow yeah oh <laughs> so bad and like i when i tell you honestly if you have four hours at some point go watch the case against adnan syed because that man standing up there like with his full chest stating you know the first story is always going to be a lie and then the second story is less of a lie. And I'm yeah. like, what could you, you repeat about? that? Like, what are you fucking talking about? Culturally in Baltimore. Culturally in Baltimore? What do you mean? What, are you talking what does that about? mean? Yeah. Are you talking about police problems in Baltimore? Because it sounds like what you're talking about is corruption. You know, Ugh. culturally in Baltimore, we're very corrupt. And what we do is <laughs> we like to get our witnesses to come in and then we badger them until we get them to say the thing we want them to say. And this is, uh, and it's just a, you know, this is just cultural. This is just this part is, of the culture. It's absolutely cultural. I don't, I don't know what they do in like Seattle or those pussy towns. <laughs> I'm just telling you that like, this is how we do it in the culture of Baltimore. And I, I rewound it several times because I was like, I, I'm not hearing that right. Like that can't be right. But it was. Wow. That's what he said. And just I just protect and serve, you know, protect and serve, protect the, and serve the culture of Baltimore. CYAing our asses because yeah. 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 Like wow. I just, and also just to me, the whole like, oh, we arrested him. Now let's look at the evidence. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, no offense, but I feel like you got that backwards. Like, not trying to tell you how to do your job, but also you're literally I'm go ahead and tell you actually how to do your job. You should probably look at the evidence first. Yeah, that that uh, that's kind of 101 from that's what like, I understand. Literally exactly backwards. So, so maybe 100 percent, the not the way you're supposed to do that. Maybe give that another little. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be following this, this DNA shit. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to be following this. And if huge, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, and the other thing is in my experience, guilty men don't want the DNA tested. Totally. And he was like, test the DNA. He's been Uh, asking uh, to do it forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and he's, he's very adamant about, about testing the DNA. So, I mean, his, his persona all indicates that he's innocent. He's never wavered. Um, right. You know, he, he, there's a possibility he could go home if he would say that he lied, but he won't. Right. Uh, they did offer him that, that deal. He could be on his way home. Right. Because in, you know, in 2017, 2018, they were like, Hey, take a non-Alfred plea. Uh, you get four more years. He'd be going home now-ish now-ish he'd be yeah. going home now-ish but he wouldn't have cleared his name and that's but he thing. wouldn't have cleared his name and what he said was i'd be he's like i would just be exchanging one prison for another totally he's right and he's not wrong yeah 
You know, he's not wrong. If he's lying, he is the best I've ever seen. Well, we're about to find out. We are about, hopefully, hopefully we are about to find out. Oh God, I Fuck, dude. Fuck. And like, let's say it's Jay's. The police are going to have to do backflips, fucking backflips because they're not going to arrest him. Well, the thing that I'm worried about is you've, I'm, you know, you hear sometimes about how they do these tests and then the cops, you know, influence, they hide it or they, they good luck on this one. I mean, the whole public is just sitting here being like, well, let us, we're just going to sit here. You let us know when you, and they have over 12 items. Wow. That's so much. It's so insane that they never tested or are you fucking talking about? Wow. Also, they've got that fingerprint from inside the car that didn't belong to anyone. They were like, oh, all right, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's not, it's not great. Like it's, it's kind of weird. Could we discuss uh, that? Whose is it? You know, they're like, we don't know. This is so Things funny happen. because the whole time I was in Palm Springs, every time we went back to the hotel room and by hotel room, I mean, travel lodge, <laughs> the travel lodge, the travel lodge where the... <laughs> nothing but the best uh when we would go back forensic files was on and it was like i saw your story your instagram story where you guys were watching that i was obsessed i was like everyone shut up forensic files is on yeah dude the shit that they can do when you have a good team man the like the tire the tire marks that they and footprint the way that they make like they made they made a cast of some of um this one, you know, whatever he was like a attempted murder. Oh, did he murder that guy? Anyway, bad fucking dude. He stepped in snow and they, they made a cast of the footprint um, or the shoe print using the snow. Yeah. Like, yeah, girl. and then they, they could actually go through the shoe and find the individual places where the tread had been worn in specific ways. And then when they fucking found that dude's that dude, and they found his, that he had those shoes and they compared his they shoe, see how worn down it is. They could, they could, they could yeah. see if it was worn down in the exact same way that the print was. And it was, yeah. I, I, there have been a couple of cases I've followed where they've caught, they've caught people in that way. So wild. Yeah, but which this is, is why not- it was also like, why the fuck did Jay throw all his shit away? Like he, why he didn't touch her. He claims over and over again. He never touched her. Why the, why, why'd you close? Why'd you throw it? Yeah. Right. Something. You know, yeah. There's well, so much, it's, there's so much sus shit going on there. I did it. I said, you sus. did it. You said sus. I did yeah. it. Olivia will be so proud. <laughs> well, do we know who we're doing next time? I mean, we could do the one we, we were going to do, but didn't. But honestly, that one's kind of like this one. And I think we should do something else in between it because this <laughs> that one's that one's just as hardcore as this one and has okay. the same kind of um wow, the police, wow element to it. Oh yeah, because so, we're gonna do Stephen Avery. Okay, yeah. we'll figure it out. We'll see what's going on. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. It'll okay. be someone. We'll do someone we'll, next time. We'll do someone <laughs> who did something bad. Or someone maybe didn't. We don't somewhere. know doing some bad shit went down and we'll talk yeah. about it all right bad vibes that's right. the other that's the sign of the crime bad vibes bad vibes <laughs> all right love you love you too bye bye